Uh, Please turn your Bible to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, if you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 998. The Bible book of Titus. If you're just joining us, we're in a series called Exiles. And we're working our way through this particular Bible book. And we're letting this, uh, this letter that Paul wrote to Titus define the topics for us. And uh, today, we're looking at a theological topic called blamelessness, being blameless. So Titus chapter 1, and I'm going to start by reading verses 5 through 9. I'll pray, and then we're going to dig deep together today. So uh, if I'm Titus, I'm asking Paul, like, hey, Paul, why'd you leave me in Crete? And Paul says, I thought you'd never ask. Verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, that's the, those two words often translated blameless. If anyone is blameless are the two words or the word blameless, uh, what we're going to explore today. But if anyone is above reproach, and here's a, some descriptors uh, as well, the husband of one wife and His children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be, here's the phrase again, above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's the word of the Lord. Father, uh, my prayer this morning is the prayer of Jesus that you would uh, sanctify your people by your truth. It is your word that is truth. And we pray that these words that we read, which are the inerrant words of God in original form, expressed in our language today in a way we can understand these words, we pray that these words today would wash us, they would nourish us, that they would set us apart, that we'd be better and different, filled with the power of God for Monday through Saturday living. So Holy Spirit, come as we double-click on this passage, unlock truth, unlock uh, reality, free people who are ensnared, uh, draw us to Jesus, to the glory of the Father, we pray in your name, amen. Okay, it's time for a little true confessions. Um, We're going way back to 1990. It was the late spring of 1990, my best friend Leo and I we were out on one of our um, destruction tours. We had various forms of these, but this one was uh, a common one where we would go out and we would take our paintball guns and we would shoot things from our vehicle. And um, this particular evening, we went to the town next door, Rivervale, New Jersey, and there was an abandoned gas station and we shot the windows and it smashed the windows open and the paint was just dripping down and it looked so cool. Like we banksied that thing up. It was graffitied out. Like it looked cool. It was like a, it was just picture perfect. If I had a cell phone back then, we had bag phones. Actually, it was pre-bag phone, I think. Uh, I would have taken a picture and used it as my home screen saver. Just go easy on me. This is before Jesus Williamson, okay? Okay. 
So we drive around and we kind of, there was a white ho- a, a house with a white door we used to like to paint on a weekly basis. So we painted the door and we had a code never to go back to the scene of what we shot because we were too smart for that. We knew we'd get caught if somebody called the police and we were just too smart. But this gas station looked way too cool. So we violated our code. We went back and sure enough, I'm driving down the street and I see the sirens uh, in my rear view. Officer McGowan approaches the car and uh, he says, license, registration, and insurance, which I handed to him. What are you boys up to? Yeah, we're just uh, heading back. We're just enjoying some time out. I knew I was going to get out of it because I had a way with words. And uh, he wasn't buying it. I hear the second officer walking on the other side of the car and I hear his voice and I hang my head in shame because it was a very distinct voice of Officer Hard. And his name expressed his demeanor. And to complicate things, I had just taken his daughter to prom. <laughs> so soon in this incident, it wasn't, didn't take long until, um, despite the fact that my brand new Razorback 2 paintball gun was fully hidden under the seat, Um, we were asked to step out of the car and uh, we were told you have the right to remain silent and they put handcuffs on our wrists and arrested us, rightfully so, for criminal mischief. I was rightfully accused and rightfully blamed of wrongdoing. Now I told you that story for a purpose this morning and we're gonna come back to that story in just a few minutes But I want to raise this issue about being blameless because Paul writes to Titus that the quality of an elder was that they must be blameless. And I want to ask the question, like, how can that be? Is it even possible for elders and then all followers of Jesus because the scripture says that we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. So if you think you're getting off the hook because the passage is directed to elders, it's coming after all of us, right? We're all called to be blameless and described as blameless and commanded to be blameless. So how can this be? The psalmist says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, the one with clean hands and a pure heart? Do you have clean hands and a pure heart? Do you have a blemish-free track record of perfectly obeying God's commands as he revealed in the scripture? Well, the biblical truth that we're gonna explore this morning is this. Every genuine follower of Christ, every genuine follower of Jesus will passionately pursue and visibly become blameless as a result of our positional identification with the blameless one, Jesus Christ. Now, don't get overwhelmed by my big idea in the description there. We're gonna explore that today through this and other passages because it's very important that we actually grasp this because there's some really good news here for you to understand and apply to your life. So let's do a little review, right? Paul leaves Titus in Crete. He says, here's why I left you in Crete. And Crete is a pretty cool place. I mean, if you look at these pictures here, who is game for a field trip with me after this series? They had pink beaches. Um, Mount uh, Ida is supposedly the birthplace of Zeus. I mean, obviously he wasn't actually born, he's fake, but um, they were known for their fine wines and their choice olive oils beautiful seas. So like, I can't imagine Titus was kicking and screaming like, do I have to stay, Paul? Really? Like, this place is pretty sweet. 
Like, I'm all about going to party to the glory of God in moderation in Crete at the end of this series if you want to come. But the problem was that Crete was not a place of moderation. They were filled with brawlers and partiers. And I mean, it was out of control place. And Titus had his work cut out for him because Homer actually wrote in the Iliad that Crete was the land of a hundred cities, right? So Paul tells Titus, I want you to appoint elders in all the cities. It wasn't like, hey, he just had a few things to do to keep himself busy for a few minutes. He had his work cut out for him. Now, these polises, these cities were obviously subdivided. He literally probably didn't have to go appoint a hundred teams of elders, But the reality is he had some really challenging work to do. And as I was thinking about that, preparing for this morning, I was reflecting on my time uh, having planted a church in Wisconsin some years ago. We had the privilege of doing that. uh, Amazing stories and memories there. But Somerset, Wisconsin, was much like Crete in that literally people came to Somerset to party. It was the tubing capital of the world. The Apple River flowed through our, our town. Um, and people would come there to engage in all manner of debauchery and crazy things. Um, our downtown was four bars and a gas station. I mean, it was crazy. So it was also a good learning opportunity for teaching my kids because we'd always go to Dairy Queen in town, and I'd have my sons with me at the time, and they're guaranteed to be somebody passed out in their turtle Sunday. And so I'm like, yo, boys, that's what happens if you, you know, you get sicker with your liquor there, Holmes. You know, you're just putting that stuff down. You're going to end up face down in a turtle Sunday. So we'd walk out and have some good teachable moments, right? It was a lot of fun. So I actually got a job at a, at a bar uh, as we were starting the church as a karaoke DJ because uh, I had a little music background. And I'm like, hey, if I'm in Crete, like if I'm in Somerset, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing right. I'm going to meet people who don't know Jesus. Like Jesus did that, right? He was out and about among the people to the point where they're like, this guy is a tax collector. He's a glutton and a drunkard. So I'm out there, man, time of my life. It was just, just how I like it, man. Just talking to people who don't know Jesus. I invited a non-Christian guy named Justin to church. He was running our sound team. He never became a Christian, but he invited Rich to church and Rich did become a follower of Jesus. And to this day, him and his wife follow Jesus. And so cool, right? Like, cool stories, good stuff. And I was thinking about that this morning, getting ready for this particular message because God's got some cool stuff for you, by the way. Like Titus had some good work to do as an el- you know, appointing elder, elders in Crete. And, and you may be retired or thinking about what's next and thinking about mission. And sometimes we think like, I don't know, that ministry thing sounds quite boring or I don't know what I would do. Um, Just get on it and stay on it. There's some cool stuff for you to do. Yes, challenging. Yes, lots of pain. Wisconsin had the highest rate of women alcoholics in the country, but it was amazing to see God break through. And God wants you to be utilized by him. Yes, in your backyard right now, but for some of you, you might need to press in a little deeper and say, where is it that God's sending me that I need to be part of? Good stuff. So he leaves him in Crete mainly to do two things. If you look at the Bible book of Titus, he says to Titus two things. I want you to get good teachers in place and I want you to have them teach the truth. That's the book of Titus. If you read the whole thing through that lens, you'll see that. And these good teachers are described in verse six and verse seven with an overarching character quality called being above reproach, or as I mentioned, we're most often used to hearing that as blameless. Elders are to be blameless. 
It's used in verse 6, and it's used in verse 7. Now, there's seven closely related Greek words which the New Testament was written in for this one word, blameless. This one is, is a legal word. It means that uh, no one can make a charge against you that will stick. Uh, the Old Testament origins of the word blameless come from the sacrificial system where God commanded sacrificial animals to be inspected to make sure that they were without blemish. Uh, Abraham was commanded to walk before the Lord and be blameless. Noah was described as a man who walked with God and was blameless. In a nutshell, to be blameless means that others may accuse you, but your conduct will acquit you. So I want us to consider two things from this passage, and then we'll jump around a little bit to really go deep in this truth so you walk away saying, how do I uh, really apply this to my life? Two things. Number one, God cares about the lifestyle of his pastors or leaders. Um, I don't have to give examples today of the headline stories of pastor falling after pastor falling after pastor falling, right? There are character qualifications given by God, 15 listed here from Paul to Titus about elders in the church, right, that, are, um, that, that show us that, that the character must match the calling, if you're serving in the office of elder in the local church, it, is, it does matter, not that you're just a Bible nerd and you can quote Leviticus, but actually that your life nerds out on aligning to Jesus, that your lifestyle matters. And the issue uh, of character, uh, of blamelessness is really the issue of am I following Jesus in a consistent way and does my reputation speak to that? Yes, the purity of the local church flows from the purity and perfection of Jesus. Yes, that's true. And the, 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 the reality is the quality of leadership in a local church and the character quality matters. It, 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 it leaks out into the health of the church. Leaders leak. And it matters. God's the best leader developer in the world. Like, I did a PhD in leadership and I can't get better than Jesus. Like, it's pretty awesome, right? When you read scripture on leadership, and so I want us to learn something from leaders. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. So similar kind of letter. We call these like the pastoral letters, pastoral epistles. Paul says this to Timothy. I want you to watch your life and doctrine closely. Stick with me here. Leave this verse up for a few minutes here. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, it's first, yes, applied to elders, to watch your life and doctrine closely, to, to leaders, right? And the, and the charge there applies to all of us, right? We're told in Hebrews to be careful lest we drift. But think about this together for all of us. All of us need to ask ourselves this question. Do I put myself under the microscope? Do I put myself under the microscope through the lens of scripture and truth and actually inspect my life in such a way that I am consistently confessing my sins before God? I'm aware of ways in which my life is out of line with the gospel, that it isn't actually aligned and I'm repenting and I'm saying, God, give me your power to break through that, right? What happens is, unfortunately, we put others' lives under the microscope, but we keep our lives under a telescope. 
Oh, man, did you hear what Sister Janie did? Ooh, Sister Janie, she was out with this person and that person, and Brother Wally was over here doing this thing and that thing, and you can list, you got them under a microscope, you know every bacteria of their life and every little thing going on, Woo! But for yourself, it's like, I'm, I'm more of like a big picture. I put myself at the end of the telescope. Man, that planet looks really good, doesn't it? Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty, like we keep it general with ourselves and like let ourselves off the hook. And I want to say to us today, we are called to watch our life under a microscope. Not legalistically, you're going to see it in a minute. Not like some pressure thing. But, it, but to pay careful attention to how we live. And elders should exemplify this. So a couple weeks ago, and let's see this picture of the elders here at Trinity Church. Um, don't worry, elders that are in the room. I'm not about to play last elder standing or anything. Um, but we put this picture up here, and I was thinking about this again as we were preparing for this morning. And one of the ways that I gauge um, elders as, as we look at the biblical qualifications is to say this, and I'm going to pick on a few that I know, okay? Would I feel, uh, would I be, be happy and glad if my daughter told me she was going to marry someone like Jason Crawford or someone like uh, Larry James? Now, I didn't say looks like, so easy. Uh, it's, that's fine too. I'm picking, we got some handsome folks up here. But would I be okay character-wise? And every elder I know on this picture I could say a resounding yes, right? That's what it means to be blameless, right? It means yes to the biblical qualifications, but it's having a reputation and a foundation of, am I loving Jesus? Am I following Jesus? And here's the deal. How can these people be blameless and how can you and I be blameless? Um, I'm not gonna fully answer that yet, but I'm gonna say this. Blamelessness does not equal sinlessness, Okay, part of being blameless is how you fight against your sin and how you acknowledge your sin. Otherwise, we would have no elders and Titus couldn't do his job. He couldn't appoint elders because all he had was, and here's the exact situation how this would go down. So picture Lucius the Creighton. He lives in Crete. Um, He's in the club on Friday. He's got his Crete 45 ounce in a paper bag and he comes to Jesus on a Sunday. Right, comes to know Jesus. So he's like, okay, you know what? I want my life to align to the gospel. And he starts growing. And three months later, and this is very possible, by the way, because there was no other option. (laughs) Three months later, Paul says to, uh, or sorry, Titus taps Lucius and is like, Lucius, you're evidencing humility. You're evidencing a love for Jesus. You are, uh, I really believe that God wants you to be an elder here at, you know, the Crete, community church. So Titus, or Lucius becomes an elder. Phoebe, the Cretan, she hears about this and she's like, you have got to be kidding me. Lucius? That guy? Crete 45, drinking, partying, selfish, greedy, that guy? No way. He dated my 14 friends and he was so rude and he stole from people, right? So she's, she's freaking out. Rightfully so, right? She doesn't know any better. So Cassius the Cretan shows up and overhears this conversation. And Cassius is like, you know what, Phoebe? You are spot on. That is definitely who he was. He was that way. But I I know you think Christians are hypocrites, but here's the reality. Something's changed. 
He's, he's humble. He is admitting when he's wrong. His family looks different. Like there's so much good going on with him. That's what it looks like, right? To actually see life change visibly happen in a person. And in this case, for Titus to be able to do his job by appointing elders who had a, a, a reputation that was such that they're actually, you, can, you may be accused but your conduct is going to acquit you. And it does not mean that they're perfect. So, time for all of us, right? Because number one, I said God cares about the lifestyle of his leaders, his pastors. We could see that in Titus 1. But I want to say God cares about the lifestyle of his people. There is no doubt Ephesians 1.4 says we're chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. So elders are supposed to embody, if you will, and exemplify and disciple others in Christian maturity, right? They're supposed to do that. They, they should model what it looks like to be mature. And then all followers of Jesus are to, yes, to follow Jesus themselves. And they're going to see examples in the community of people who are growing in maturity. This is what Paul had in mind when he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I couldn't help, no one's ever quoted the Young's literal translation, which is a different translation of the Bible, which is the pirate translation evidently, because he says, followers of me become ye. So I liked that though. I thought that was kind of cool. But it is true. We should all be able to say, followers of me become ye as I follow Jesus. That, that, That should be the case as mature followers of Jesus. And I say that because this is the hill that we've planted our flag on as a community. We're saying discipleship matters. And part of discipleship is primarily for every one of us, yes, we imitate Jesus first, but we also can imitate leaders. There are godly men and women in this local church that are imitatable, right? And I I believe that all of us look like a sheep from the front and a shepherd from the back. Right? We're, we're sheep following Jesus, and we're shepherds who are actually leading other people to follow Jesus. That's our passion. That's what we're about. That's the thing that gets us excited in the morning. So let's go deeper. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate you. Just what I needed to hear this morning, put yourself under a microscope. That's just the level of guilt that I needed. Just, I'm already feeling it from my spouse. He's like, you need to stop doing this and start doing this. And you, you ain't perfect. You already got an elbow this morning. You know, whatever the case is, right? Thanks. Really appreciate more pressure to perform, more, uh, more stuff to do. And I want to ensure you that this truth does not produce pressure to perform, but passion to pursue. And it it produces passion to pursue not being blameless. That's the the byproduct. It's a passion to pursue your, the Bible word is sanctification. And I want to just call that the relentless pursuit of growing to become more like Jesus. So to get you there, we're going to do a doctrine deep dive. All right, go with me. This is good stuff. We're putting this under the microscope. Sin creates two problems, okay? The fact that we are born with a sin nature creates two problems. One is guilt, the other is corruption. Don't check out on me here. Justification deals with our guilt. Here's what I mean. In the late spring of 1990, I was guilty. I was actually guilty of the the crime of criminal mischief. 
But as the story went on, my best friend Leo and I, we were good kids, we had a good reputation. He went on to be a computer engineer, went to Drexel. Uh, we were both kind of, you know, I was, I was average student. Um, he was above average, but you know, no, no troublemaking uh, reputation to us. And our lawyer, Marsha Denbo, did a great job presenting our case in court and made the case that we would make restitution and these kids deserve to have a chance and not actually have this held against them. So the charges were dismissed. Now, the fact is that I didn't make any restitution because I was a lazy young kid. I had no money, no place to do that. My father, who was a painter, we grew up in a lower middle class home and he painted homes, worked hard, wallpapered. Um, He actually painted our lawyer's home at no cost to her and paid my part of the window fee, which was I think at the time $250. So my dad stepped in and did something that I could not do so that I could be freed. And as a result of my father's payment and the mercy of the judge, the court said, we are not going to hold this against you. We are going to dissolve the charges. We do not want you to have a blemish on your record. Now, you and I are guilty before God of breaking his law. This is one aspect of sin, our guilt. We have broken God's law. But because of the sinless, blameless one, Jesus Christ, and the payment that he made, his shedding of blood on the cross, in your place, condemned he hung, the charges are dismissed. For those of us that say yes to Jesus, that God awakens us to turn in believing faith to Jesus, God says, I am not gonna hold the charges against you. You are not guilty. You are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Amen. And God gives you the righteousness of Jesus. Now, that's justification. We are not guilty, and we should all enjoy that for a few A hundred thousand million years in eternity, by the way. Now, the second thing is that sanctification deals with our corruption, meaning that sin actually has a power in our lives that corrupts us, that defiles us, that does bad stuff. We can all tell stories about the consequences of sin in our life. What sanctification does is say, I'm going to actually give you real Holy Spirit power to work out your salvation in a way that actually you will visibly experience transformation. And this happens in in a past, present, and future way. And I need you to understand this if you're gonna walk out of here feeling like God met you and you were liberated by the truth of pursuing this. So here we go. Our past or what we call positional sanctification is the teaching that God says, this is who you are. This is true about your very being that you were sanctified. Listen to the text. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and listen, this is Paul writing to a church. So we'll put ourselves in this moment. This, was, this is God speaking to us as a local church. And this would be true if we went around the room, right? Such were, past tense, some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So 
you were these people, now you are these people. It's already happened. You're already cleansed. It's already happened. You're already set apart. You're already blameless. You're already washed. But that plays itself out in present or what's called progressive sanctification. Like this is who you're becoming. If the past positional is about who you are and and your being, present progressive is about who you're becoming. God visibly working inside of us and outside of us to, to enact character transformation to enact visible change, visible blamelessness. Listen to the text. This is so good right here. I'm about to have some fun. Therefore, my beloved, and that was like in light of the amazing greatness of God, that's the therefore. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Don't get lazy just because the leader is not around, the cat's away, the mice can play. But here's what Paul says to him. I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Great, thanks, Paul. We gotta, now I gotta do this in my own strength, put myself under a microscope and work this out and be scared while I'm doing it. Thanks a lot, bro. No, it's not even that. For it is God who works in you. God gives you the power to do it. That's the, the very active presence of the Spirit in our life, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, even the forgiveness of sins, Psalm 25, 11 says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. It's about putting God on display, right? And then this, this is gonna be good. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? that you may be blameless and innocent. So you see, there, there's, there's, there's patterns of things that we stop doing. Don't grumble or dispute in the power of the spirit, not in your own strength, right? Then you're gonna be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. Now, all right, we've been reflecting on this Van Gogh, these Van Gogh pieces here. Let's take a look at these here. And Pastor Marvin, uh, what a powerful metaphor he's brought to us in these pictures. Because in the starry night, which is the darker picture, um, Van Gogh was in a mental institution. His world had gotten really small. It was a dark, chaotic, turbulent time for him. He's just tiny little glimmers of hope. The church building in the picture, the lights are out and no one's home. No light right? Then this raising of Lazarus, this teeming and beaming of yellow color bursting for the hope that it represented, right? To shine as lights in the world. Now, if we go back to that Philippians passage, here's my, here's my, my, uh, my principle for you. Gang, it's not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard to stand out. It's just not. We, th- this whole following Jesus thing, and, and actually being a light in the world, it's not that hard. What, what, do, what do you have to do? Paul said, hey, just stop complaining and disputing. Actually go to your workplace and show up with the fruit of the spirit. Show up with some joy. Show up with some life. Show up with some positivity. Show up with some love. Show up with some grace. Show up with some kindness. And you're gonna stand out. You're gonna stand, it's not that hard. Right? So we always maybe go to extremes and complicate and be like, how could I ever be this you know, shining light in the world? Well, just don't say anything. Don't join in the workplace gossip. Right? I, I get to, so I was a full-time pastor for 18 years. Now I'm an executive in an organization. So I'm getting the benefit in this season of my life to actually 
experience what it was like to be a pastor and now to be in the, in the marketplace, I'm loving every minute of it. I mean, it's just been a blast. Um, but I can see, I'm like, man, this is just not that hard to stand out. And sometimes we have followers of Jesus who are like, I don't, I don't really know how to make an impact in my workplace. And I'm like, you are making an impact if you're following Jesus, right? You, you are if you're showing up with the fruit of the spirit. You are if you're actually growing in your sanctification. So that's the charge for you today. So there's past sanctification. There's uh, present or, or progressive sanctification. Finally, there's future sanctification. And this is our positional sanctification. That's already true of us realized. And this passage in 1 John is super helpful here. John says this, beloved, now we are children of God. That's positional. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we, will, but we know that when he is revealed at the return of Christ, we shall be like him. That's perfect sanctification. When we see him, right, we, we're gonna see, for we shall see him as he is. And in that moment, being enamored and enmeshed and captivated and entranced and consumed by the glory and majesty of this triune God, we're gonna be absolutely made perfect, visibly, practically, experientially, the full Monty. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So as we ponder on the, the, the amazingness of Jesus and his perfections and his beauty, and we want to become more like him, we actually experience that power working in us now. And I don't know what's better news than that, that there is that power available. Not only are you free from your guilt, but there's a power in process in your life that you're working out your salvation. And let me close with this thought. A couple thoughts. Um, number one, First uh, Thessalonians 4.3 says this. This is what I just shared with you about sanctification. It says this. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So finding God's will is about finding yourself, pursuing Jesus, following Jesus. And the Bible uses very urgent language for you to do so. And so I want to turn up the volume on the intensity of your pursuit of Jesus because the Bible does, <laughs> because God does. He says, I want you to flee wickedness and pursue righteousness. There's nothing neutral about those words. There's nothing casual or, or, or moderate about those words. You flee a lion chasing you. <laughs> you, you flee somebody trying to hurt you. You pursue something in a race. All you NASCAR people, I've always thought that was weird. I did like that one movie with the funny guys. But you pursue the car in front of you. Pursue, you get after it. Like, we ought to be people who are, 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 are captivated with the consistent pursuit and the passionate pursuit of Jesus. And if we're doing that, our reputation will take care of itself. We pursue our transformation, and God takes care of our reputation. God's your defender. And maybe someone here today, you're being accused. Let God defend you, right? Let God be the defender of your reputation. And Job, in my second thought and closing thought, um, Job is an excellent, excellent case study in blamelessness. Blamelessness does not equal sin, sinlessness. He didn't get it all right, perhaps. But in Job 1.1, it says that in the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job, and he was blameless, and upright, and he feared God 
and shunned evil. So look at that right there. What, what does it mean to be blameless? Well, he feared God, right? What does that mean? It means to know God. To fear God is to know who he is. And then he also shunned evil. He, 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 was, he was pursuing the Father and intimacy with the Father, and he was pursuing out of that overflow and that power working in his life, becoming more like Jesus, saying no to sin and putting off things that are entangling us or holding us down and saying yes to Jesus. He did that. And in Job 31, I'm going to close by just confessing our way through this passage. We printed it in the bulletin for you because I do think this is like refrigerator worthy or put it in your Bible worthy to actually take more time, which we won't have this morning, to actually work your way through this. But Job's life, it wasn't that this is like the perfect list of blamelessness to check off. It's just that it is a portrait of a blameless life. And as you pursue Jesus and focus on his blamelessness and his perfection, you're gonna see these things play in your life. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for washing over us with your word today. Thank you for the truth of scripture that you chose us to be holy and blameless and that you actually have a power at work in our life that will reveal visible changes in our sanctification or transformation. And as we think about Job, God, we just want to confess our way through this and ask for your power over these areas. So God, we confess any ways that our thoughts or actions have been impure. Would you, Father, just allow the purity of Jesus to to, to flow in our lives and in this local church's life. We pray, God, if we've treated people unjustly, whether that's employees or coworkers or folks we're working with, God, would you forgive us? We confess that as sin and ask you to forgive us and ask you to this week empower us to be just. Father, if we've neglected the poor, the needy, we've been stewards less than your standard, which we know we have, forgive us, Lord, and give us practical ways to serve those that you've put in our crete, in our backyard. Father, for anything, we don't have a statue maybe in our house of an idol, but for anything that we do bow down to instead of you, whether that's money or status or acceptance, forgive us and empower us. For maybe ways that we've been rude to our enemies and not been hospitable, forgive us and give us hearts that are wide open to serve and welcome people into our lives. And also even just how we do our work in a day in, day out basis. Whatever season of life it is, is we, if we've done things, God, whether they're unethical or not ideal or optimal, would you forgive us and would you empower us by your spirit to bring up there, down here for your glory? Jesus, you said that you are cleansing us by the washing of water with your word, that you are purifying your church, that you are making us a pure, blameless, spotless bride. So we say, bring it on, more of your activity, less of us for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like prayer, there'll be some elders and other people, prayer team down here, have a wonderful, blessed week.